of those eventualities. And they, they're very cognizant of the fact that people are tired and they've come a long time and they really want to get about the business of meditating and being here on retreat. And uh, so they try very hard to say all the frightening things that can happen, the fires or the bears or snakes, the ticks, uh, as briefly as they can. My name is Sylvia. Uh, I have regards from Dana De Palma for all of you and very special blessings for your practice. Dana was meant to be here to teach this with me this weekend, and Dana has flu in her house now, uh, and uh, so she was not able to come. And Matthew, at the very last minute, has uh, offered to come and be here. This is Matthew Brensalva. I'm Sylvia Boerstein. That's Carol Cano. This is Victoria Carey. And uh, Car Carol and Victoria are in the uh, teacher training program uh, that Spirit Rock is, has just recently inaugurated the latest iteration of. So they're happy to be here as well. Actually, I think this would be a very good time if we had a, um, just to, for them to hear, for you to hear their voices, they'll help with the teaching and with being here over the weekend. This is Carol. Can you hear me? Yes? Okay. Welcome. I'm really excited to be here with all of you. Can you hear me? Okay, for some reason I can't it's feel like... Thank you. Yeah, it's exciting to be here with all of you this weekend. And uh, I have feel very grateful to be with this team. And at any point uh, throughout the weekend, you can't hear my voice because I have a really low voice, please raise your hand and I'll raise my voice. So thank you for doing that. Can you hear me now? Yes, great. And anyway, um, I just wanted to say welcome. Hi, it's good to see all these faces, new and familiar. Um, welcome. I'm excited to be here supporting all of you and helping to hold this container for the weekend. Matthew? Um, hi folks, welcome. Um, These are not like dramatic pauses intended for theatrical effect. It's just, <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> but don't be worried. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find words. And um, um, yeah, I'm happy, happy to, to be here. Uh, um, uh, I've spent a lot of time in this hall and uh, delighted to be uh, with this team. And um, 
and Sylvia will talk a bit about the, the retreat. Um, um, and it, for those of you who have, uh, who have been on retreats, which is about two thirds of, of folks, um, this will be less, uh, less structured in a certain way than, than some of your retreats. And, um, we're, we're going to sort of, uh, allow the, the teachings to, uh, emerge in a very holistic way. And, um, so on the one hand, I could feel like nervous talking to 97 of you or something, but, um, I actually feel very relaxed because, um, uh, I'm not trying to pull a fast one on you, you know, like <laughs> this is just, this is, um, the life I've been living and we're just going to sort of like collectively share what is closest to our heart and, um, trust that, that it will manifest in, in a, a way that's, um, supportive for, for you and, uh, your own deepest aspirations. So, um, uh, delighted to, uh, to be with you. So I'm looking out there and I'm wondering how many people have been in this room many times before? How many people have been in this room a few times before? How many people have never been in this room before? Oh, I'm so pleased to welcome all of you. Isn't this fantastic? It's really beautiful. Have you been in the new hall down at the bottom? That's really awesome. That's way, you know, whatever this is, it's bigger. But, you know, this is older and it got finished in um, about 2000. And as it was being built, uh, we watched it all go up and, you know, we'd seen it on plans and all that. But the first day that the top was at least structured in, if not filled out, filled out in, some of my colleagues and I were invited to come in and, you know, that it was safe enough for us to come in and look at it and feel the room. And we came in and we came up and sat up in front. And this is so beautiful in here. And one of my friends said to me, do you think we're smart enough to teach in here? Do we know enough yet to merit a room like this? So I, th I think we, we do. And if we're not, we're making it up and it's growing with us. Every year I think to myself, you know, I, now I finally get this. And then, that, you know, that I, every year I say things with certitude. I know for sure, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And the next year I'm saying that same thing. And then I think, I really got it. That's really true. Now I have it. And then the following year I say it again. I say, wow, that's really important. Now I really get that. So today or tomorrow, I'll tell you what my most recent, I really get that is. So you get it. The thing, the thing is, that's how it is with this practice, that we really don't give advanced instructions. Like there are people, how many people in this room have been doing this kind of meditation for 10 years at least? That's a lot of people. How many people, it's their first time doing this meditation? That's a lot of people. It, the, the instructions are the same. You come back forever and ever. We don't have to have like um, intermediate or, I mean, it's the same instructions. Pay attention moment to moment with as open a heart as you possibly can to what's happening. 
which is really the instruction for the meditation all the time. But before we do, starting in with the contemplative quiet part, look around you and see who's next to you. Think for a moment about how at one point, maybe two weeks ago, maybe six weeks ago, maybe six months ago, you decided to come to this retreat and you had a reason. Like I'm going to do that. I'm going to be there because I have a holiday in January or uh, I really want to work on this. Or finally, there's a three-day retreat. I want to do a residential retreat. Three days is manageable. I'll do that. We had a reason for coming. And then it you signed up and then... My my awareness is often that the retreat is out here somewhere in the future and I see it marching towards me or I am marching towards the retreat. Don't you feel that? It's coming, you know, two weeks from Tuesday I'll be on retreat, a week from tomorrow I'll be on retreat. So now it happened. You and the retreat marched towards each other and this afternoon you met. You collided right here and you'll be here in this place until Monday at noon and then you'll go out from here. And all of us, all 90 of us, got popped onto this planet at different times and we've been marching around for different numbers of years until all of us have collided in here tonight. And we'll be in our own circle, just us, for the next four days. And then we'll go out in the world. And it's quite likely that never again will exactly this constellation of beings be in a room sitting together. So imagine that we are a unique, amazing community doing this work on behalf of ourselves and of each other and of the whole world just for these three days. So if I think about that, as I tell it to you, I get excited. This is like, now if I look around and see who's here, it's like more potent. So take a moment before we actually go into silence and really keep ourselves in community separately, to just say to one, pick out a person next to you or behind you, and have a two-minute sort of low voice, but talk to them. Tell them your name. Tell them what you, why you came or what you hope is going to happen. Just do that. Ready, set, go. They'll tell you also. Where's my... Yes, do you want me to take off the earring too? Is no, that it's what's happening is the wind from peas is blowing into the microphone. All right. <laughs> it's not that. And so okay. if you uh, turn it off and take it off your ear, I can uh, change the
It's on? Yeah. When we next talk to each other in a group again, we'll certainly have question and answer periods here, and so you'll hear other people's voices. But conversation won't happen until Monday, and everybody is really so good at usually about keeping the silence and keeping the space. And it's always lovely to see at the end of the time how we we do some exercise where we say, okay, now we're going to turn around and say again. And everybody sort of suddenly gets reanimated and comes back to that kind of vibrant relationship. I'm sure that you each told each other something about what you hoped would happen by coming here. I want to have insight. I want to relax. I want to get over. I want to develop some more skills for living in these difficult times without being so overwrought. I want to get over my loss. What else can you think about? Hmm? I want to get over my worrying. I want to get more tools to get over my worrying. I want to awaken. Maybe one more look at your person and in the briefest of ways, say something like, that's a blessing. I hope you get what you came for. May this go well for you. Tell them a blessing. In 15 seconds, ready, set, go. <laughs> oh, that's too nice. Those two men gave each other a hug back there. That was not only a nice thing to do, but it was actually also an exercise. I didn't think, I didn't give it as a pedantic kind of a ritual, but don't you feel good when you bless? Blessing is the best feeling because it's the actually the antithesis of aversion. So blessing people is a very lovely, you know, it, it picks up the spirit. It's a generous act. And it really is the opposite of aversion. You can't be blessing somebody and be annoyed at them at the same time. <laughs> you can't. It's like driving your car in forward and reverse at the same time. It doesn't go anywhere. 
So good, that's a good way to start. I'd like for us to sit for just a few minutes and do a particular contemplative exercise. And I gave a hint about it just a little bit ago when I said um, we're just really trying to figure out how we can keep ourselves going in these difficult times uh, with good heart. So as you sit, you can keep your eyes open or you can close it if you like. But think about these two wishes for yourself. They're two wishes. I say them to myself often on each one saying on a breath. I say to myself, may I meet this moment fully. And I'm breathing in and out. And then I take a whole breath in and out extra to feel that feeling of that invocation of meet it fully, this moment. Next breath, may I meet it as a friend, breathing out, and a whole breath in the echo of that blessing. So four breaths, two blessings. May I meet this moment fully and out, breath in and out. May I meet it as a friend in and out and another breath in and out. And then again, and then again, and again. And try particularly to sense the nuance of difference, if there is one for you, between both of those invocations. And we'll sit for about three or four minutes.
I'd like to begin by reading to you from a book called The Birth of Insight, written by Eric Braun. I just read it last week. And it begins this way. On December 26, 2004, my wife and I joined the morning meditation session in the main hall of the International Meditation Center in Yangon, Burma, now known as Myanmar. We, along with 50 other meditators, all lay people, arranged ourselves in rows on the floor, men on one side, women on the other. The leader of the Insight Center, an old and revered layman named U Tint Yi, sat elevated above us in a chair at the far end of the room. When the session started, we all closed our eyes and the room sank into a plangent silence. As the minutes crawled past, I struggled to pay attention to the ever-changing sensations within my body. The goal was to use my corporeal experience as the means to gain insight into a universal truth, reality's impermanent, unsatisfactory, and conditioned nature. Hence the term for this practice, insight meditation. We've been calling it mindfulness in recent years in the West, but it comes from the word vipassana, and the translation of vipassana, which is a Pali word, is seeing things clearly. I actually like that a lot. You know, I think that uh, sometimes uh, I can see things well enough without my glasses. I need them to read because I'm farsighted now. So I can just about make it out. But if I put the glasses on, I can see clearly. I think that, and that the difference between paying attention in life and awareness is we see things pretty well enough to get around. But if we were to see things deeply, I think we'd be deeply changed and um, deeply supported in our lives. We'll talk about that a lot over the weekend. So here we are, we're back in Burma. Acquiring such insight could free one from suffering from the Buddhist point of view by enabling one to let go of all attachments of, to things that are destined to disappear and so disappoint. But I found myself distracted. Thoughts of other places, past events in my life, the intellectual interests that had brought me there, plans for later travel in Burma, they all crowded into my consciousness. It was going to look like, it was looking like it was going to be a very long hour. I was just about to peek over at my wife to see how she was faring when I felt a sudden strange sensation as if the floor was shifting underneath me. At first, I thought it was just the vibrations caused by some kids fidgeting in front of me. But I opened my eyes to see the whole building started to shimmy on its foundations. Fellow meditators, silent and composed moments before, cried out and grabbed one another. The waves passing through the earth grew so powerful that I saw the water in a lotus pond outside sloshing back and forth. All eyes turned to Utinti. Should we flee the building? After all, the doors to the outside were only steps away. Yet even as the oceanic push and pull intensified, Utint Lee remained absolutely still, his eyes shut. And so, 
Though the building swayed back and forth around us, we followed our teacher's lead, and we too stayed put. Finally, after what seemed an eternity, but was probably only a minute or so, the undulation of the earth stopped. People's cries died down as the floor stopped slipping and sliding. After a few minutes, when the tremors did not return, a palpable sense of relief filled the hall. It seemed the earthquake was over, and remarkably, there was little damage. No one was hurt, though people continued to hold on to each other, some still softly crying. Wu Tintyi showed no reaction, no opening of his eyes, no movement at all. There were some whispers, but the force of Wu Tintyi's example kept the crowd's attention. When another minute passed and it became clear that he would not stop meditating, everyone took the cue from him. Each person resumed a meditative position and restarted his or her silent practice. The session ended at its scheduled time as if nothing had happened. I'm starting this book with this vignette, he says, because it encapsulates for me in a small but visceral way the power of meditation that drew me to this project. As this story indicates, meditation is more than a tool for personal transformation. It can also be a social force, one that can keep a crowd of lay people sitting during an earthquake and push them back to practice right after it ends. It is, speaking more broadly, a way to make sense of the world that shapes personal choices, group behavior, and even political acts. So I just read this the other day, and uh, I was very touched by it. Will you, isn't that a really a wonderful story, this happens? And I think to myself, actually when I first read it, I thought, well, maybe he shouldn't have been just sitting there. Maybe he should have opened his eyes. The door was just steps away. Maybe they should have run outside. I live in California. I know that you're supposed to stand in a doorway and the doorway is more safe. He just stayed there and they just stayed there and the earthquake passed. I don't know whether structurally it would have been a better idea for them to go outside or not, but they didn't. But the idea that a person could say, this is what's happening. I don't think there's anything that can be done. I'll just see what happens. It's so touching to me. My friend Gil Franzdahl, who's one of my colleagues, one of my friends, and one of my teachers from time to time, his uh, expression, his explanation of the word equanimity is equanimity is the ability to say, hmm, this is what's happening now. Let's see what happens next. I love that. I learned that a few years ago, and I think about it a lot because I think I get frightened in my life a lot when I think, uh-oh, this is happening. What if, what if, what if something else? And often because I don't remember that there's going to be a next. There's always going to be a next. Next is my favorite word in that whole thing. Let's see what's going to happen next. Say, okay, get a grip. Let's just see. I'm very touched that we can, each of us in our own lives, when things get complicated, say, wait a minute, I just want to think this over. I just want to figure out what to do. 
I think this is very much a practice of habituating the mind away from reactivity and over to uh, response. It's a small thing. Instead of reacting, I'll respond. I'll think it over and I'll choose what to do. Maybe not a long think, but enough of a think not to be impulsive. If the whole world thought it over, we'd probably all treat each other nicely, more nicely than we do, because we're not actually helping the planet or each other very much this way. I also like that story very much because um, when I first started to meditate, which was really in the 1970s, uh, there were all kinds of meditation teachers around and meditation opportunities around. And in the yoga tradition, uh, Swami Satchidananda was teaching yoga, Hatha yoga and yoga meditation. And uh, there was a... Um, uh, a um, an ad for uh, the ashram and meditation classes and they had a big drawing not a photo of course but a big drawing of what looked like Swami Satchidananda on a surfboard on, a, on an ocean with sea with, uh, with waves and his, his traditional Indian pants that he was wearing pulled up around his knees and he's riding on a surfboard and it said in big letters, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf. And I thought about it, I thought about it when I read this with the waves under this particular teacher. To be able to say, wait a minute, let's think this over. What should I do now? These are very complicated times we're living in now. Every time is a very complicated time to live. Uh, in the last year or so, people who asked me to come and teach, they particularly say, we'd like you to give a talk on how to live in the world in these difficult times. And I'm always happy to do that because I think that has always been true. Could have given a talk 10 years ago and 20 years ago and 100 years ago, and the talk would be how to live in the world in these difficult times because the fundamental truth that the Buddha taught is life is a difficult time. No matter what's going on, it's more or less difficult in an uh, exterior, public way from time to time. It's certainly different when there are uh, even decades or long periods of peace in the world, or no famine and no flood. And, uh, but however it is all over the world, with the difficulties of the natural world, there's always the difficulties of our own mind being always um, able to catch us in stories. There's a line, uh, there's a line in the movie Kundun, which is a, uh, uh, a, a sort of semi-fiction narrative presentation of the life of the current Dalai Lama. And he's learning the Four Noble Truths, which we will learn together this weekend or review together. And he says the first noble truth is life is challenging or difficult or one of those words. And then he says the second noble truth, 
And he says it in a kind of a distant way, like, like not really embodying the truth. And in the movie, of course, uh, he's a boy. He's seven or eight years old, so it's especially touching. And his teachers stop him and they say, wait a minute, too much ego in that, do it again. And he thinks, and then he says, I am the cause of most of my suffering because of the habits of my own mind. And I, and once a year, uh, my husband and I watch that video because it's so touching. And that's my favorite line in the whole thing because I think to myself, imagine an eight-year-old saying, I am the cause of most of my suffering because of the habits of my own mind. It's very rare to find a 40-year-old who can say that about their own mind. So... But that's really what we're doing here. We're learning what are the habits of my mind. Maybe I'll tell you one more example of that. I uh, I read in the newspaper today about Mark Ryland, has uh, who's a really wonderful stage actor and sometimes screen movie. Just opened a new play in New York, so they had an article about him. And uh, do you remember seeing the movie last year, Bridge of Spies? Remember seeing Bridge of Spies? Mark Ryland plays the spy that uh, is um, improperly held by his captors and finally at the end gets to cross over the bridge and is, is exchanged for another prisoner and gets to go home. But one of the remarkable lines that he says all through it uh, is when he's being very stoic about things are not going his way and repatriation is not happening and it's one series of disappointments and he's very stoic and calm about it and his lawyer, who's not, keeps saying to him, you know, why don't you get all upset about it? Why don't you get upset? Why don't you get angry? And he thinks a minute and he says, would it help? Do you remember that? says, would it help? And it's so remarkable in the movie because it happens a couple of times and in a couple of circumstances. And then you realize it's not just an idle thing. Why don't you show some emotion about that? Would it help? So, of course, emotion is fine. This is not about not having emotions. It's about having responses that are helpful. So in the course of this weekend... What I'm hoping that we'll do together is that we'll sit some, a, a good deal quietly. We'll walk quietly. We're going to spend the whole weekend together. That You can think of this as a spaceship that we just all got on. And we're in the spaceship until... I mean, we'll go outdoors and we'll individually go in our own bedrooms. But uh, that, So that part, not together. But here together, we'll, we'll be here all day together. And we'll sit and we'll do some movement exercises and we'll maybe go outside a little bit and we'll come back in. So you'll see it says morning practice, afternoon practice, evening practice, during which time uh, um, we'll teach a variety of contemplative, contemplative techniques. So we'll do some mindfulness techniques and awareness of breathing techniques and loving-kindness techniques, and movement techniques. Those are all techniques, all of which are decided, are ways of habituating the mind to a tranquil and alert uh, 
response to a mind that's relaxed enough to choose wisely out of what it sees clearly. So it looks like different techniques, but they're different techniques to continually be reorienting the mind to where we want to go. Intention is so terribly important. If we set out from here in a car with no roadmap, but we wanted to end up in Vancouver, we'd probably be checking that the sun was continually setting on the left, on the west, as we traveled so that we could know we were going north. There are ways of being in, in a practice, in a, I, I think, that are important in a spiritual practice where you will notice in yourself that your mind will become probably soothed a little bit, maybe sweetened a little bit, not even by Monday noon, but maybe by now already and tomorrow. And that's what we'll all do it together. We'll all be together. We'll have periods of questions and answers uh, during the day and uh, short talks like this. Those of you who are familiar with regular, ordinary, or wait, I'm going to think, traditional uh, retreats. There's not much said all day and then a long talk in the evening, uh, a Dharma talk. So we'll uh, instead probably punctuate the day with Dharmets, <laughs> short Dharma talks. So, so be sure to be here all the time. So, because we'll do something all the time, and we'll do it together until Monday noon. Does that seem all right to you? Everybody came to the right place? Good. Da -da -da. Oh, wait, wait, not da-da-da. I have to say one more thing. I don't have to, but I'd like to say one more thing. In this very book, which I was very, I'm very pleased to have read now, he is saying, well, maybe. Ah, the English word meditation, the general term for it in Theravada Buddhism is bhavana. It's a Sanskrit word and it means cultivation or development. And it encompasses a continuation of practices that includes study, memorization, chanting, moral effort, history, Theravada texts and teachings. It says that all these kinds of practices need to be included. Not only the contemplative practice of being moment-to-moment -moment with the breath or blessing moment-to-moment -moment in order to purify the heart, but to study, to hear about the potential of awakening, to learn, to hear texts, to live in an ethical and moral context and enjoy the pleasure of being a constituent part of an ethical and moral context. All of those things, study and intention and aspiration and mind training and dedication to ethics are part of the Eightfold Path. So we will, by Monday afternoon, have studied the Four Noble Truths in the Eightfold Path and the Five 
hindrances and the factors of enlightenment and everything else, but just in the course of talking about calming down and waking up. And now. Um, Thank you, Sylvia. Um, So, on a a retreat uh, like this, it can... um, it can sometimes seem like you're you're sort of the audience, and we're the entertainment, and uh, that's actually not true. Um, we are very much doing something together, and it's impossible to do unless we all do it together. And I often think about retreats like um, kind of like a community art project. <laughs> And we're all, even though you'll be quiet, um, we're all actually be contributing to uh, a kind of work of art that will be actually readily um, appreciated on Monday when we actually see what we've done. And that kind of work, that kind of uh, collective um, uh, project, um, is supported by by certain intentions, and so um, quite early in my practice, I heard this line from a very revered monk who, um, after you know decades of, of dedicated practice and and somebody who um, had a reputation of of being, you know, having a very deep mind and a lot of wisdom and insight. Um, He characterized his intention for practice um, as um, the, the, the urge to be safe for others. And, you know, I don't even know if I knew what that meant, but there was something about that phrase, like to be safe for others, that touched something very deeply in me. And in the Buddhist tradition, there is this, um, this injunction, like to, to make of oneself a refuge for all beings. You know? And... Um, implied in that phrase, to make of oneself a refuge for all beings, to be safe for others, implied in that is a whole path of exploration, of understanding our own habits, of understanding the ways in which we might um, uh, perpetrate some kind of harm, of understanding all of our aversion and craving and confusion uh, so th- in, in such a way that we actually uh, know ourselves so deeply and are so moved by the kind of longing of others to be safe that, that, that our uh, conduct is purified. And during this time in retreat uh, together, um, I, I think of it as a time of, of refuge where, where each of you and, and all of you, meaning all of your experience actually deeply belongs. Yeah. 
Like in our lives, we, um, we often, um, there's sort of like, we draw some line down the middle of us or down some part of us where there are like aspects of our experience that belong, that are welcome in the heart, and then pieces of experience of life that are refused. And here we're actually trying to move from a model where we're, we're always um, uh, getting and making progress and rearranging our life to one where we're being, uh, we're, we're welcoming the totality of our life. Yeah. Letting life actually begin to to soften our hearts. And this kind of movement is, is supported by a, a commitment, a collective commitment to, to make this a kind of, of refuge. Many people, you know, I, I so appreciate what Sylvia said, like, the last year was hard, the year before was hard, the next year will be hard, yeah. Um, like life is kind of a little bit overwhelming, you know. Um, and there is, there is, I think, uh, you know, we are in a particular historical moment where the sense of, 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 of certainly certain people feel like they're living under um, some kind of siege and safety, a sense of refuge, feels quite remote. And in the context of that kind of um, lack of safety, it becomes very natural for people to become vigilant and scanning the environment and not actually fully um, sinking into our, our own experience. And here we have this very beautiful uh, opportunity actually to make some collective agreements towards non-harming. And what that does when we agree to behave in such a way as not to harm each other, not to harm other beings, what that does is it actually makes whatever experience, whatever inner experience we're having, okay to have. Because we've agreed to a kind of, to treat each other carefully, to be a refuge for each other. And uh, some of the most kind of um, beautiful qualities of the heart are really uh, can only emerge when we s feel safe enough to, to deeply settle into the moment. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so, um, so this takes some, some, uh, concrete form, some traditional form of, um, of agreeing uh, to, uh, uh, yeah, re really the basic commitment is, is one of like, may my life be animated by the spirit of, of non-harming. Non 
And um, as we get quiet, we start to actually see in ourselves and see in the faces of others how deeply we all long not to be harmed, to be safe, not to be, to, to be hurt, not to even be misconstrued, to like honor that. There's a philosopher who said, um, said the first word of the face is thou shalt not kill. When we actually start to get still and really look into the eyes of others, or when we look into the mirror, there is this kind of quiet plea of the face that, that um, uh, says, you know, uh, please do not harm me. And our heart gets more and more sensitive to that as we get quiet. And so, um, so we uh, are, are collectively uh, agreeing like, okay, may, may I honor the, the well-being of, of everyone around me. And that means traditionally in like the, the, the Buddhist precepts that we take, it's not to, not to kill, not to cause harm to another being, uh, to, be, um, uh, to be respectful of other people's things, not to take what's not offered, to be um, uh, very um, careful with, with speech. In this case, it's pretty easy because we're not in a position to uh, lie and gossip because we're going to be quiet. Yeah, but uh, to to uh, yeah, just to be. And this is not a total complete prohibition. There may be during work meditation words that need to be said, or of course questions in the hall, or if there's any emergency, of course. But actually to, to agree like, okay, we're just going to honor the, the silence and uh, let the, the heart unfold in that, in that uh, container. And um, to be, uh, to be um, conscientious about, uh, about uh, the, our sexual energy. And so, um, this is uh, this is not like um, a, a precept that is um, uh, kind of anti anti uh, you know saying that there's anything wrong with the arising of of sexual feeling or longing, but it's to acknowledge the the kind of power of sexual energy and um, to uh, be. Uh, kind of practicing a certain kind of, of restraint in how we experience that. On the inside, we can let any experience uh, arise. We don't, we, there's, this is not a kind of suppression of our inner life, but it's just to say like, okay, can we be really careful the way that um, 
uh, desire can kind of um, spill out. Yeah. And then lastly, um, committing to, uh, to not using intoxicants during this time, and that uh, alcohol or, or illicit, illicit drugs, um, um, that the, the Buddha said, like, that, that, um, that makes violations of the four previous precepts more likely, you know. And so we're uh, cautious as we, as we develop a clarity of heart and mind. And, um, you know, as we do this, it's like different things become possible. Different things become possible when there's this, this sense of, uh, of refuge and non-harming. It was um, just uh, on a teaching a, a teen retreat and Mark was, was there and we had 50 teenagers and... Um, uh, and there you're really, I'm not worried about you folks with the drugs and sexuality, like, but 50, 17, you know, 15 to 19 year olds, yeah, we were scared, right? <laughs> and so, um, uh, uh, you know, what was quite remarkable actually is what the, what they what they said and what they say each year as the the retreat unfolds is like just what a relief it actually is to be in a, a, like a kind of in a container where there's shared ethical commitments and where they don't have to you know um, be a kind of um, uh, negotiating the, all those intense forces. And one of the kids said this year, like, um, as, yeah, very touching to me. He was like, I, I didn't know places like this existed. You know? And what was being pointed to in saying that I didn't know places like this existed was not the teachers or the staff or the environment or anything. It was that sense of like radical safety. Yeah. So may we, um, may we offer this to each other and, um, yeah, in that safety, may we uh, find find ways of um, of uh, knowing ourselves even more deeply, and knowing the the kind of um, the heart's longing for freedom more clearly. So, I've done this a lot, but it's um, it's it's like. If anything, it's getting more touching, you know, to be together in this space. And uh, uh, don't treat the substitute teacher badly. (laughs) You know what I like the most? One of the things that I like particularly much about the precepts is that traditionally when they are chanted, in Pali, uh, there's an additional, after the five precepts are chanted, there's a sixth sentence and it says, 
may these precepts be the cause of happiness. And I, I really like that a lot. That, that don't think of them as prohibitions, but actually as the cause of happiness. So I was thinking about what would be a good practice to take with you to go back to your room and maybe finish with your unpacking or go to bed and we've already had the technique of meet the moment fully meet it as a friend meet this moment fully meet it as a friend One of the things that, that, that has very, very many dimensions for me, and maybe tomorrow we'll have some chance to talk about them. But I always discover when I come up to the word friend, wherever I am with meeting it fully, and I say friend, it just gets sweeter in that moment. Do you notice that? Like I like to put that friend on the end. Oh, yeah, I forgot that. Relax. I meet this moment fully, okay. I meet as a friend. Oh, yeah. It's just got like a sweet end on that moment. So as you're going about your business, putting yourself to bed, you might say that to yourself as you're breathing in and out. Think it to yourself, think it to yourself. You think, well, how can I do that? I'm brushing my teeth, I'm taking my, putting them on my pajamas or whatever. You do it. You just do it while you're thinking. May I meet this moment fully? May I meet it as a friend? Meet this. I, I didn't really take it. I did actually really take it very seriously from my teacher, Sharon Salzberg. She said, every minute, really, brushing, walking down the hall, going back to your room, just making those intentions. Among other, sometimes people say, well, by the way, that's another technique, the making of warm-hearted intentions, and we'll talk about it more tomorrow and Sunday. But sometimes people say, well, if I'm saying that while I'm brushing my teeth, I'm not into it heartfully. I'm just like, I could be saying Pepsi-Cola, Coca-Cola, Pepsi-Cola, Coca-Cola. You could, and actually it wouldn't be bad for you because while you were saying Pepsi-Cola, Coca-Cola, you would not be thinking, what am I going to do Tuesday when I have that bad meeting and what about my friend that said that not nice thing to me yesterday. So it is actually a very good... Um, um, buff, buffer in the mind for unpleasant arisings. But it's all the more buffer of unpleasant arisings if it's something sweet. May I be peaceful, may I be happy, may I meet this moment fully, may I meet it as a friend. May all of my friends be well, may all of my friends be well, may all of my friends be well, may all of my friends be well. It's a form of meditation. We'll talk more tomorrow about meditations without words and with words. How many people have not lived in a silent community before? So don't feel funny when they, you know, you hold the, f the door for somebody and they walk through and they don't acknowledge you. Or when they hold the door for you and you walk through and you don't think, well, how can I walk through a door and not say thank you? You don't have to. After a couple of days, it ceases to be peculiar. And uh, it gets to be really a pleasure. Everybody's holding doors for everybody. 
You think to yourself, what if the whole world just opened the door for everybody else and everybody else waved everybody else along and had them in the supermarket or into the elevator? Or, we could all become more gentle, more pleasant, more generous, really, more kind. That's what this is about. The bell will ring early in the morning. Um, and you know the schedule. And we'll try to say something in each moment that we're all together that moves, that advances the uh, instructions along together. But the instructions are always the same. Let's try to meet the moments fully and meet them with a warm heart. Let's try to stay tranquil and alert or relaxed and alert. That might be an, a, a sweet last story to tell you before you go to bed. The town of Barry, Massachusetts is much older than the Insight Meditation Society in Barry, Massachusetts. Uh, and, the, and that building that has had the Insight Meditation Society in it now for 35 years is a former um, monastery. In uh, It was a novitiate for um, the Blessed Sacrament Fathers, the Catholic Church. Uh, so it happened to be for sale when Joseph Goldstein and Jack Cornfield and Sharon Salzberg and the people who were around them at that time were all looking for a place to make a permanent home for teaching insight practices in the United States. And uh, this monastery was for sale. They went and spent the morning there. They looked at it. They were very excited about the prospect of a monastery for that would sleep 96 people, all full of dishes and pots and pans, ready to go. But they weren't sure that they should do it. They had backers that were willing to put up the money for it. And they went to have lunch and talk it over in the city, in the town of Barry. town of Barry is a bucolic um, New England town with hills and fields and church spires. And it looks like every Norman Rockwell New England picture, except that the emblem on the police cars and on the uh, shoulders and the sleeves of the policemen and the county uh, workers is the town motto, which is tranquil and alert. So they noticed that and they thought that that might be a sign <laughs> that it was a good place. I actually don't know if I believe in signs and omens. On the other hand, it's such a good story. <laughs> so I, I make a little room to believe in that sign and that omen, at least. So, and actually, it's that particular phrase, tranquil and alert, is a phrase that I say to myself very much as part of my tool bag of things that I do in the day when I'm not, especially when I'm not tranquil and alert. 
if I am in some situation where it's unpleasant or frustrating or whatever, whatever it is, from not being able to negotiate in a in a store or having too much dental apparatus in my mouth or being in a too crowded freeway or for comfort, I say to myself, tranquil and alert. That doesn't mean I am. It means I'd like to be. And it's a reminder that tranquil and alert is a possibility of mind. And I have experienced it as a mind state. If I experienced it once, I could experience it again. It's a possibility. So I say to myself, tranquil and alert. Tranquil and alert. Instead of, why am I on this freeway? Da, 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 da. Tranquil and alert. Don't tell a story about it. Make an invocation for what you would like, like open sesame, tranquil and alert, because it actually works. So, I hope you have a wonderful night of sleeping, and we'll be back early tomorrow morning. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.